Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Another energy rebate is under consideration as the government tries to work out how to help the population through a difficult winter. I think it was absolutely right for us to hold our fire, to wait to see what the real situation was in the autumn, and that's when we need to provide supports. That's the right time to do it. It comes as another company, Energia, hikes its prices. Meanwhile, in Brussels, the EU is coming up with its own proposals to curb energy use. We are facing an extraordinary situation. We will propose to re-channel these unexpected profits. Later in the show, we'll take you to Somalia, where the UN warns a devastating famine is at the door. Join the conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. another day of crippling energy price rises and hints of help in the budget. Energia has become the latest company to whack up its prices. Gas going up by 39% and electricity by 29%. Well, it comes as Cabinet met to discuss how to help hard-pressed families. An energy rebate is on the table, but no details have been released. Meanwhile, in Europe, Ursula von der Leyen was coming up with her own plan for curbing electricity during peak times. We are facing an extraordinary situation. We will propose to re-channel these unexpected profits. We channel them to the member states so that the member states can support the vulnerable households and vulnerable companies. The same goes, of course, for the unexpected profits of fossil fuel companies. On the panel to discuss is Labour Party TD Duncan Smith, Green Party Senator Pauline O'Reilly, Member of Solidarity, People Before Profit, Ruth Coppinger, and Executive Editor of the Daily Mail Group, Ireland, John Lee. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, to come to you uh, first, John, on what's being teased out at Cabinet level, because the budget is just a couple of weeks out now, and there are plenty of hints being dropped about action being taken. What are you hearing? Um... <laughs> it was changing as uh, as recently as me sitting in the car park on the way in, so I had to ring the office and change the front page, but as best I could. Um, there is a there there is a hold for a reason I hadn't really expected, but nevertheless, this is what a number of ministers said to me today that they want to see what Liz Truss does first in Britain. She has um, indicated that the new prime minister that she's going to have a hundred billion. Um, deal a bailout for the consumers and businesses in Britain uh, for energy. The, the government have said they want to see what she's doing there because whether we like it or not, they, they, what happens in Britain still is a huge effect on what happens here. There's a meeting of um, 
EU energy ministers in Brussels on Friday. Again, the uh, ministers want to see what happens there. They have spoken to me today about a 800 billion euro um, EU COVID fund that is still relatively untapped. They've only used 15% of that. There is a hope and it'll certainly be pushed by Ireland that this can be looked at as as, um, something that can come our way uh, uh, to help consumers and businesses. Uh, There's also a Brexit fund there. So exact decisions will be clarified somewhat by the end of the week, but they are speaking of the, the, the 100 billion in, in Britain, they're looking at the 65 billion that Germany ha, has bailed out. Essentially, France has, has nationalized its energy system. Um, this, is, this indicates then that the, the rebate that you spoke about at the top of the show will be substantially higher than the last one, which was 200 euros, I think. Uh, far higher, uh, ministers are saying. That is, under, uh, that is uh, something that they think will almost certainly happen. And right now, we're looking at, for the end of the year, three billion to be spent so in supports exa- for yeah. homes and businesses. It between. sounds like what you're saying, John, is an expanded war chest here, that they're spending a lot more money than may have been hinted at before when it comes to tackling the cost of living crisis and essentially throwing money at the problem here. If they, it, it, that's what they intend on doing, I think the levels of what they, what they do um, will depend on what the EU says. And, and lastly, in relation to Britain, uh, one minister said to me this evening that Rishi Sunak came up with a furlock scheme, which we took advice from and guidance from and improved on it very much. And they felt that that was very successful. So this is something they want to do again, but absolutely throw money at the, at the, at the problem, which is what our EU partners are already doing. Yeah, we're not getting full committal, though, yet, Duncan Smith, about this energy rebate. And we know mm. there was that €200 Euro, uh, credit that was afforded to every household across the country. That's mm. something that Labour opposed when, when it was announced. This is before the summer. Mm. So what do you think about a larger rebate for every household being discussed right now? Well, again, we, we, we opposed the, me- the methodology of it just given that it was a flat rate applied to everyone because, uh, you know, we do have people that are in poorly insulated homes, usually people on the lower economic scale, poor people who are really facing the brunt of the uh, cost of living crisis, who've been afraid to turn their heating on all year. Now, I've had my advice clinics open all summer, mm. one of the hottest summers we've had on record, and people coming to me talking about fuel allowance and help to pay their fuel bills. And we have the COD from government that if you go down to your community welfare officer, they'll be able to sort you out. We know that that's not been the case on the ground. Uh, so, so you would be opposed would, to an no, energy rebate? No, would, no we, we're, we, we, what we'd like to see is an energy rebate that's going to be targeted at those the most needed, but at the moment, okay, so, the way so it is, sorry, Claire, no, no, but, but an increase, an, an increase in the amount given because this crisis has just uh, escalated since uh, earlier this year. Uh, the prices have gone up beyond uh, anyone's expectations. Uh, so we do want to see, uh, and everyone is going to need this help. The vast majority of people, low middle incomes, are going to need it. We're probably not going to get the level of sophistication needed in terms of how yeah. it will be applied, but we will welcome any assistance that's going to help uh, households and, and indeed small businesses that are going to be actually going to be laying people off. I was okay, uh, but, dealing but, with, with a firm today whose electricity bill went from 10k to 40k uh, a month. You know that's going to impact with people losing jobs. Okay. That's where this is going to lead. Okay, but not across the board. I mean, Pauline, th- this is really what the government is considering now from what we're hearing, from what, what John is saying. It's looking at all options, what they're doing in the UK, which is putting a lot of uh, money at the problem. Um, is, is this how you see that, 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 that this is the way it should go now and that it has to go? 
Well, I mean, Ireland... It is one of the countries that has put the most into supporting people already with 2.4 billion since the last budget. Well, but absolutely many this Many people would say the minute the next bill came absolutely. in, you know, they didn't feel any of that. No, absolutely. And, uh, and I think that that's why there have been a number of measures uh, over the last 12 months. But it's one of the reasons we brought forward the budget. But absolutely, we believe that universal and targeted measures are needed. So everybody is going to feel the brunt. And people who didn't feel it, uh, wouldn't, would, may not have felt a year ago the kind of so pressures. So from will. low to high earners. And I believe that that's the correct thing. Um, and I, I've said that previously, but I believe that targeted measures are really what will help those in, you know, who are most vulnerable. Okay. So I would agree with Duncan on that point, that really we, we will see a focus on targeted measures as well, to have to go hand Okay, hand. but if you're giving a big chunk of money to people who don't necessarily need it, that means less for those who do really need it. I, I really think um, that we are in a crisis. This is a Europe-wide crisis, and it is caused by Putin and the war. And so it is felt by every well, we country. We did have rising prices before all of that. Well, we did have the cost of living and it the, came this, up in the budget last year this, about supports that would be needed. The, this for really is off, off, the off the back of inflation. But in terms of the energy rises that we're going to see, it is to do with the war and Russia turning off the okay, gas. Okay, I want to get a, a, a Ruth in here on this. Um, what's being proposed, what we're hearing about universal credit um, something in everyone's pocket um, and targeted measures as well. Um, how do you think people are going to get through this winter? Is there confidence that the, the government supports will, will help people? I, I'd say that there must be rage and anger out there tonight. This is the sixth energy company in two weeks that's put up their prices. And let's stop faffing around here. We have a company putting up its prices that increased its profits by 50% last year and that paid its shareholders a dividend of 30 million. So, you know, the taxpayer supporting people paying their bills is not the answer. Deregulation and privatisation has been an absolute disaster for ordinary people since these companies were privatised. And I think that we really need to look, I don't know what the Labour Party's position is on this, for example, I haven't heard them saying, we might hear after, but we need to take back these companies so that we can control what they do and that we, we have the ESB, which is owned by the state, 95%, and yet it too is making huge profits and putting up its prices. Okay, well, and will... meanwhile, this is a very important one. People are told, you know, energy made 50% increase in profits, turn off your Christmas lights, just heat one room. Eamon Ryan must think people are living in Downton Eamon Abbey. Eamon Ryan didn't say where... that, so let's be really clear. Eamon Ryan not, must not think people are living where you can just switch a wing statements. off in your house. Like the, uh, this patronising guff that's coming from the government and, and also the EU has to change its policy and how it prices energy um, in the first place And we place will get well. to that in a moment. Uh, briefly to you, Duncan, on that though, would you agree with what Ruth is saying that there's big profits being made and people, like when we talk about an increase of 39%, I mean, it's huge. I mean, this is incredible. Uh, and look, that uh, really, absolutely. we're sitting and letting this happen. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, I, Ruth would have a, a selective interest in what the Labour Party says and doesn't say, but if she did listen to what the Labour Party was saying and what Jed Nash has been saying for the last year is that we've been 
calling for windfall taxes on energy companies. Are you calling for nationalisation? Oh, if you could let me finish yeah. my point. The ESB is the largest energy generator uh, in, in, in the country. That is nationalised, that is state-owned. Uh, and I agree that the privatisation and this plethora of companies that are out there supposedly providing cheaper prices has been an absolute disaster. We need to we need to reinvigorate the ESB and our nationalised uh, uh, energy, regula- energy they, generators. Of course, they'd but argue they, then that a, a windfall tax is going to, you know, take money away from investing in renewables and all these other things. Yeah, they, they, they will always argue against a windfall tax. They'll always argue against any tax. But windfall taxes have been used throughout the globe by many different governments in a way of yeah. uh, raising money and with something we should be doing and been saying for over a year. OK, well, let's just look at, um, you know, we're hearing what's part of the domestic response, but what about what's happening at EU level? On the line is lecturer and researcher in electrical engineering in UCC, Barry Hayes. Barry, you're very welcome along to the programme tonight. At EU level, what we're hearing is that they're seeking uh, to reform the market. Energy ministers are meeting this week. And on the agendas, capping energy profits, cutting electricity use across member states. For Ireland, though, what did these kind of big group decisions actually mean for a country like Ireland? Yeah, so the the exact details uh, of these EU measures and the, the numbers behind them are, aren't fully clear yet. But one of the measures will look at a windfall tax for non-gas generators. So um, if, if you're a, what they call a low-carb generator, so if you're a generator that doesn't need gas to generate electricity, you've been making huge profits over the last uh, number of months from the energy crisis. So for example, if you're a large wind farm, in Ireland, mm. uh, your income has increased massively because of the increase in wholesale electricity prices, but your your production costs are, are the same because you don't need to buy gas market to, to, to generate that electricity. So one of the one of these EU measures will try to uh, limit those profits uh, mm-hmm. for non-gas generators, try and redistribute some of that money towards electricity consumers and towards the most. And on that, durable. on that, Barry. How quickly, how soon can all this happen? Like, will it change the bills that people will be playing this winter? Look, I, I think the, I think it's quite telling how quickly uh, the, the EU have moved on this. They're not um, renowned for, for 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 moving moving quickly and, uh, and and taking quick action. But I think it, it it shows just how quickly this energy crisis has escalated. Um, how quick the EU are proposing to measures. So. I believe there's a meeting this Friday with um, possibly measures being introduced uh, next week. And from then, it's, it's up to um, each member state to implement those measures. Um, I, I, I would expect that they could be implemented relatively quickly because, the, the, for example, the windfall tax, um, a lot of the initiatives are the demand reduction. These are mm-hmm. already under discussion in Ireland at government level. Um, so I, I, I think it will. It will put, put more focus on this and more urgency on this if there's uh, EU measures to back that up. OK, um, let's go back to the panel on this. And um, Pauline, we'll get on to energy efficiency and, and what is being said today around that. But just on that yeah. issue around decoupling that we're hearing, uh, the charge level at government is that at EU level, as late as October last year, we were among about nine countries in the EU opposed to decoupling energy prices. It's not quite. So what, it's what's not, changed? It's not quite opposed. What it what it is is that if you. Well, I'm just going no, to it, I'm just going yeah, to read okay. out exactly the letter that was about energy prices in the EU, and it was a joint statement from a number of countries, including Ireland. And this is 
from October of 2021. The internal market for gas and electricity has been jointly and gradually built over the past decades. Competitive markets contribute to innovation, security of supply, and are thus a key element to facilitate the transition. We cannot support any measure that conflicts with the internal gas and electricity market. For instance, an ad hoc reform of the wholesale electricity market. But that's what's being proposed now. So the Greens in government were all against it last October but are suddenly in favour of it now. Well, if I, if I could answer the question, last October, we were in a different situation. And I think it's quite correct that you don't interfere too early in renewable markets. Um, and so uh, that the what's... And, and also that you don't take unilateral action. And so the windfall tax is something that we have said we are in favour of. I've been out on it, you know, quite a lot to say that I am in favour of it. Um, that there are companies who are making large profits who were not making large profits. Are you talking about renewable companies? Renewable companies. Who are you were, worried about that? They that were that not might, making large that profits that previously. This decision is made because there is that talk in government that if you do bring down, and it will bring down prices, the hope is for all, that you might... Um, put off renewable, you know, and, and that focus on renewable energy. It's, and for it, the Greens, that's it, a big it's, deal. Well, that's it's, the reason you're in government. Pro, uh, companies should be able to make a profit, but not an exorbitant profit okay. off the back of other people. So we do believe in a windfall tax that goes back to people and not subsidising um, companies, which other countries have but, done. But and that's what they have done. be able to make a profit, as you put it off, something that's absolutely essential? Electricity and gas, food... Transport. There, there are three essential things in life. It's like this is life and death for people now. You know, as it is every winter, several thousand people die. This year it will be a lot worse because they won't be able to heat their homes. And we just have to break this idea that these things should be commodities that companies can, you know, trade in because I, these are actually essentials of life, just like water. I think the reality is on a European level. That's where the energy market yeah. is, and, and we can't unilaterally okay. make it. Well, well, if anything has put all of this that. in focus, it's what's happening right now. John, I just want to, to bring John in. I want to, I want to bring John in. John, um, you know, this whole campaign about energy efficiency, you know, around five to seven, don't bathe the child and, you know, avoid putting the oven on at this time or the dishwasher on. How are the government going to market this now? Um, how are they going to get this right? Because the sense is that that's putting an awful lot back on the householder again when they're facing these <clears throat> crippling bills. I, I suppose you could you could only uh, suspect that it's the it's the right thing to do. But whether that campaign has a particular effect, I, I don't think so. It, it strikes me as window dressing. Um, yeah, you can do lots of things, but I, I think anyone who spent time in a hospital or some maybe the government building that I work in every day will know the heat is on all day and that's been going on for years. And I have to open the office in my house, my office in Leinster House to let the heat out. So, you know... They'll be down to 19 degrees so, now, won't you? So, uh, well, journalists, I'd say, will be down to zero degrees, if um, I, I, I suspect. But, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit late in day of this. I, I think that the thing to do is, is throw money at it, which they're going to do. Yeah. The discussion we're having here reminds me of the, the economic crash where everyone became... Uh, experts on bond yields and things that I didn't really understand. Mm -hmm. It seems to be massively complex. The government right. are saying today some of them want um, price caps. People in the Department of Finance say that is too uh, too complex to do. So if if we have to rule out price caps and energy bills in Ireland, then maybe we'll have to move towards something that could think, see us. I think what's happening. What do you save think of, at home, what, what do you think of, of of the messaging and how that's going to 
to sit with people. I think the people that, that, that I represent, the people that have been coming to me, are saying, we've been doing that. Like anyone on a, on a low income or fixed income knows to the cent what their food bill is, what their electricity bill, what their gas bill is, and they've been making any efficiencies they possibly can for many, many months now. As I say, like this, it's incredible that during such a hot summer we've had people so focused on their energy and electricity bills. So they're already doing this. They know to put the washing machine on at night. They know all the hacks and shortcuts. So this is going to be laughed at by people out there who are on the hard edge of this energy crisis. That's the reality of it, because they're already doing it. Yeah, the question is how, how are the government going to get this right, Pauline? I mean, the Green Party were on to us to say well, there was no mention about um, Eamon Ryan saying don't light up your Christmas tree or, you know, cut down on, on Christmas yeah, lights. And it's good to get facts out no, there. No, I didn't say he said that. Uh, I said that actually. that has been talked to. What I said was he said heat only one room, which he did. But most people don't have the power to necessarily do those things. Okay. But there has been talk for the last three days as if people doing without Christmas lights is going to resolve this problem. Mm. Like, we're right, this is very complex. Yeah. There are six companies that are profiting out of yes, this whole but there's crisis. Also this Shell, issue. Exxon, Mobil, all of those. There's also the fear. I mean, how real is the fear around blackouts? Uh, because part of this, this is what we're hearing now um, quite widely that, you know, we need to cut this, we need to stop putting the pressure on the grid. Um, and that we are at risk of blackouts this winter, on top of everything else. I mean, I think that we have to decouple the two things because the cost is not related to the energy security issue. You know, it's a separate thing. So um, really, the, the amount of energy security there is isn't what's, you know, increasing people's bills. But certainly, if you use less electricity, then it is going to be cheaper. But, you know, the announcement today is about public buildings. We've already seen a reduction of 30% in the energy in public buildings in the last couple of years. And we do anticipate, actually, that small measures in public buildings could have a large impact on the grid. But there are other large users and they're the ones who will be actually uh, forced to reduce if the grid... Like data centres. Data centres, exactly. And there have been no new um, agreements for data centres in the last two years. Is there years. going to be an announcement? Is there going to be something around that? Well, it's already in the energy security framework, which uh, was, no, which was launched since data April. centres and all of this sort of well, thing. It, so the, the feeling is all the talk is yeah. there, but we're not seeing any of the action but on the, it. We, you, you know, Ireland can't be the country to say we had an agreement prior to uh, 2020 and we're now going to say, well, no, we, we can't hold up the, hold up the agreement because right. that has an impact on all business. But what we can say is reduce your use, use your own energy, and new guidelines have been addressed. If, you're, if you okay. are doing it, you have to bring your own energy, renewable we'll energy. We will, as always, come back to the issue of data centres, but I want to move on now to the final report of the Commission of Investigation into the sale of SiteServe, which has been published. The report examined the 2012 sale of the company by the state-owned Irish Bank Resolution Corporation, formerly Anglo-Irish Bank, to a firm controlled by businessman Dennis O'Brien. It found that the IBRC sold SiteServe in good faith, but that the sale was based on misleading and incomplete information provided to it by the company. The report said the deal was tainted by impropriety and was not commercially sound from the perspective of the bank. Uh, to get some reaction to that, John, just on this issue, the Taoiseach saying that uh, that report contains findings which are a cause for concern. What's he going to do about it? Well, there's cause for concern on many levels. I mean, I think within government this evening that we'd spent seven years to um, once again investigate 
allegations that were made against a certain businessman um, and there are no substantive findings against against Dennis O'Brien, for instance, you know, the, the, and I was working in Leinster House at the time and there were all these behind the hand um, allegations of whatever. But do did we need seven years to come up with this? Mm. Um, it, it turns out that the state may have lost about eight million euros. Um, What's the report cost? I think the estimates are somewhere around 50 million. It seems like a very, very, and I think the concerns are more around um, the amount of time that was taken to investigate something. And we, yeah. we again. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Don't have these allegations that were, were made... I mean, yeah, that, that's the irony of all of this. So I think what they said today, um, Pauline, was that, you know, in essence, the state could have saved that about 8.7 million euro um, on that on that sale. Um, and it didn't. It's cost some 30 million euro. It's taken seven years to complete. Is that good enough? I don't think it is good enough that something takes seven years and I think there has been a history of things taking that length of time and by the time the report comes out, um, you know, the, the substance of the issue has, has kind of changed for people. Um, and so which there is, isn't... Which is a, convenient as well, yeah, isn't and there, it? there's complete lack of transparency in that. So it's one thing having a report, but, you know, it's... Uh, and saying, well, we need a report, we need an inquiry, we need transparency. And then that actually is all gone if it takes that you're length speak, of time. You're speaking like someone in opposition well, um, there, Pauline. Um, to <laughs> I wasn't in government when this report um, was... Um, what was, now happens with these findings? I honestly, I honestly, I honestly don't know, and, and I think that's what the concerning thing is here. I mean, we've had the finding of impropriety here in terms of this deal, uh, and if we go back, it's like we 
this is like three crises or four crises ago. Uh, but we have to bring ourselves back to what IBRC was, how it was constructed, what like Anglo-Irish Bank brought this whole country down, more or less. And uh, the, the impact that that's had in terms of subsequent housing crisis and emigration and job losses and everything. So we can't forget our anger. We can't forget how serious this is. So I don't, like John said, oh, well, you're kind of saying, well, there wasn't that much money and the, the report cost this. I think finding the truth and finding that the Irish people were fleeced yet again, yeah. uh, I think is very important. And it's something we can't lose our anger over. Well, my thanks to Ruth Coppinger and John Lee and Barry Hayes, who joined us via Skype tonight. Pauline and Duncan will be staying with me as we discuss one group who are pinned to their collar with the cost of living crisis, the music industry. We hear from Mary Coughlin next. Welcome back. The music industry is supposed to be going through a renaissance after a hellish two years of COVID disruption. But all is not well. The cost of living crisis is hitting hard, forcing some groups to cancel gigs due to poor ticket sales and massive energy bills. Well, Duncan Smith and Pauline O'Reilly are still with us. And we're also joined by owner of Tramline Nightclub and venue, Ian Redmond, and singer Mary Coughlin. You're very welcome along to the programme. Uh, we talk there about the pandemic, the COVID lockdowns. I said, Mary, last time you were in, it was in the midst of all that. You were yeah. trying to get back up and running again. The entertainment industry has emerged from that pandemic. Uh, you know, is there a feeling that you have made up for a bit of lost time? The appetite was there for people to get back the appetite to gigs was there, and enjoy themselves. Have, it's, it would be a mistake to say it made up because um, we went back to work. We were scheduled to go back to work on the 25th of October. Everyone started booking gigs like crazy. And um, then the Omicron came in December and um, me personally, we were doing, I was doing some gigs with Sharon Shannon and Francis Black. We had 18 gigs that had been rescheduled from 2020 to 21 to 22, and we ended up doing four. So it never really got back, you know, and from talking to- and was that just trying to book venues? Was that the problem? No, no, that nobody was coming out. No people were scared again. No, people were scared again. Around, around the pandemic. Yeah, and now so, it's money. So I mean, I don't blame now? them. Yeah. What's happening with ticket sales? Are, are people still keen to go out like we've seen in other economic dips that, that people will, you know, they'll look for a bit of light relief. They'll want to go to a gig. Yeah, I've been through that? a few of those and everybody would come out to a gig and have a bit of crack. You know, still music and, and going out was, was something that people could afford to do. But I think now, I mean, not, no, uh, personally, um, a lot of my gigs have been cancelled. I understand why. Um, it's, I know I'm not insecure. <laughs> I mean, I know it's not because of me. I know it's because they don't have any money. Mm. And they're worried about war. They're worried about the cost of living. They're worried about, like, it's constantly, constantly, constantly been thrown at them that it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And it costs a few bob to go out for a night now, you know? Also, has the, the energy price and the extra bills that venues are facing, are they being passed on to you? And in turn, 
Are you passing them on? Is there a rise in, in, in ticket prices? Well, I, the, the, the ticket prices haven't risen. My fee hasn't risen, but like the guys in my band drive, we double up now. It's not easy driving to a mm. gig with a piano and a double bass and two musicians in a car. And we're trying to save money on petrol, you know? So you would have had like maybe give everyone for an extra 50 quid for petrol, but now it's 85. I'm not getting, the fee isn't getting any bigger. And if you got a guaranteed fee plus a percentage of the door, well, that's not just there anymore because there's nobody yeah. coming out. We're, find, we're finding our uh, our costs are going up 30 to 40%. Yeah, outline for us, Ian, if you will. Well, I mean, well, you know, the, the, I know the night that the nighttime economy is very much, you know, on edge and yeah. really needed a good a good summer, a good emergence from the pandemic. Well, we had a huge, How's the industry faring we, now? We had a huge emergence from the pandemic because there was such a pent-up demand for nightclubs because it was front and centre in all the media, nightclubs, 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 and it was great. We had six weeks of just a boon. It was mm. off the charts. Um, once Paddy's came, Paddy's weekend, the festival, it, it, it just kind of dropped off a cliff yeah. and then people got into live. So it went from nightclubbing to live and people, like there wasn't a week in June that there wasn't an international act in the country, you could, any number of gigs on. So it was huge. Everyone went to gigs in June and then everyone seemed to leave the country in July and August to go on holidays and package holidays and one or two package holidays. So the summer has been really tough so, and our costs. Yes, let's talk about those. Can you give us a breakdown of the energy and insurance costs that you're now facing? <clears throat> okay, well, pre-COVID, pre uh, our insurance, public liability, employer's liability and buildings cover and stock was €38,000. Um, we paid it and uh, uh, we had about seven months uh, credit left on our uh, policy when we closed. We, we asked them, could they pause it? They had no interest in pausing our public liability policy, even though we were closed. Uh, we reopened in October and... Um, the only way we could get back open, get our license uh, and our special exemption orders in place was to produce an insurance cert to say we were covered. 120,000 will have off you because this phrase, there is no appetite in the market for that type of cover from underwriters. I'm just sick of it. That's why uh, we need regulation in the insurance industry to go. I'm 10,000 euro a month, two and a half thousand euro a week. You know, I open four nights a week for three hours a night. It just doesn't make any sense mm -hmm. to go from 38,000 to 120,000. So it's absolute price gouging by the insurance industry, mm -hmm. you know, because uh, there's no appetite for that level of risk. I mean, look, we're hearing of it like the pri price gouging is another uh, phrase that certainly comes to the fore, unfortunately, uh, Pauline, with many things, uh, many things that we're paying for at the moment. I mean, is there enough teeth? in regulators to actually take action on, on what Ian's talking about there when it comes to well, insurance prices. I mean, like I, I absolutely know exactly the, the problems that you're facing and uh, having been involved in the community sector as well, community arts sector, um, faced with those kind of insurance costs. It's been incredibly tough. tough. Once Brexit hit, they were actually found it almost impossible, some of them, to find any insurance and couldn't okay, reopen. So what help but can I, people get? But I, well, I am hopeful that we will see um, more regulation, but um, but I know and that as of today, pushing that where is that coming? From? Well, government are pushing it, and and I know that uh, and I know that it is on the cards, and it is hopefully almost through in terms of regulator. But um, you know, it's 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 hitting now as well at a time mm. when you have the energy, so it's it's doubling up the impact on businesses so and on community organisations. So many like, things coming know, together, thing absolutely. After another. And, look, and people yeah. are 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 at their wits end. I really feel it. And you, at gigs, you know, I, I did some gigs at the weekend. People, that's what they talk about all the time. 
you know, you're talking to them after yeah. the gig and the gig was great. And they're just talking about the cost of living all and the, the worry time. worry about what's going worry. down the line as yeah. well. And so, I think now more than ever, we need the arts, yeah. you know, yeah. over the last Duncan, couple of years. Um, like, you know, let's talk about this. It's not the first time we're hearing, like certainly from a business level about, you know, the COVID supports that were in place, mm -hmm. that, but that we need to see them. And we're hearing now from, from performers, from venues, the nighttime economy, that really the supports that were there, that were there, I know that not without their controversy. But, but they were know, fantastic they, for business that, owners. That they were yeah. helpful. And the, and the government were fantastic in delivering those supports. So, what, what's coming so out? do we, what do we need to see that now yeah. on, on, on a large scale, wide well, scale to cope with cost of living? Because it'll be prolonged supports that are required. It will be prolonged supports. One thing that came out of it was the universal basic income pilot for artists. You but know, that that's didn't the, even happen but that, yet. I was just going to say. It keeps getting delayed every yeah. 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 month. Us through that. That, that, that. Out of COVID, uh, Minister Catherine Martin said, look, well, we realise how important our artists are. They've had a really tough time and we're going to pilot this universal basic income scheme. And I know artists uh, uh, very well who've, who've applied for it. Nothing has mm. come for, from it yet. And even so, it was, it was quite small in scale. But what we mentioned there in terms of the insurance, we've had high ticket prices compared to anywhere else in Europe uh, based on insurance costs for many, many years pre-COVID. And we've had uh, this government, and particularly the last government, with a snail's pace approach to insurance reform. We all know the insurance industry is pushing back incredibly hard on any kind of reform of the insurance industry. And we all know that our insurance premiums, be they car, be they house, be they fire, or be they businesses in the nighttime economy, in the artist economy, are through the roof compared to anywhere. And you take, for example, the Bruce so Springsteen. what Pauline one... had to say there about, you know, we are going to see change coming and there are plans and we will see reform. Yeah, it, 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 it has been slow. And I think Pauline would, should, should acknowledge that it's been very, very slow. But just like we, we, we have now, uh, we've had a summer of big gigs, big headline gigs for big international yeah, acts who don't need the money, you know. But we've also had conversations about them saying, you can go and see Bruce Springsteen for cheaper in Berlin with flights and accommodation than you can to pay the tickets in, in Dublin. You know, and then you talk about Mary's experience uh, with that. Hasn't increased her fee, hasn't increased yeah. anything. He's and trying I to make a living to talk, out I of want it. to bring up what you said about that pilot scheme that was going to offer this basic income or this support. Now, Catherine Martin had been praised for the support that she gave to the industry. Um, well, like, what's going to happen around that? Because well, that they're is, the sort of things yeah. that performers are really yeah. hanging yeah, on yeah, to. Absolutely. And we absolutely. We emails every morning. And I know, and I know that it is coming. Um, there were nine, so there were nine thousand because there were nine thousand applications for two thousand places, which which goes to show the need um, for two thousand places, and because some uh, some people needed support with their applications once they came in, they didn't have all the details. Rather than say no and knock people off, they did go back to support people to put in proper applications. But I have to say as well, the nighttime economy uh, task force has uh, increased the you know a number of events and um, there's been 15 million in restart grants for live performances okay. so there has been a lot done by Catherine Martin and I've been at one of Mary's gigs throughout the, the pandemic as well when things opened up in my bubble um, so I think that things did re we did see the continuation okay, of I, the arts I, I guess in a very different yeah, time. I guess I just want to talk here about the reality of what you're facing into now this winter are you worried that your business may, may not survive uh, it, Ian. Absolutely. We can't, like when we built Tramline five years ago, we invested over two million and we've investors that need to be repaid. So we've overheads and uh, for our power, 
monthly power bill to go from four to eight, nine thousand euro is just uh, together with the insurance increases, uh, you know, um, the, the cost of living, we're paying our staff more, that we paid a living wage. Um, the, the, there's all sorts of things, problems as well. Transport is a huge issue. It could take you two hours to get a taxi out of town at three o'clock on a Saturday night. You know, um, that needs to be, and not even taxis, buses, Lewis Public Transport needs to be addressed. And uh, licensing reform as well. I know it's front and centre with um, Helen McEntee's Department of Justice. Um, we need this licensing reform because I couldn't take a booking for an event last Sunday because the courts closed for the whole month of August yeah. and I had to do all my bookings uh, in July. And, and Mary, just to, to, to finish with you on this, um, your gigs and this winter, how do you think it's going to go? Because I take it like, while there may be a soft summer, you would be hoping like coming up to the festive season that you'll be able to recoup no, something. No, the gigs are my, my, I, 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 I don't mind saying it. Liberty Hall, I was supposed to do Liberty Hall in October. It's gone, a number of other gigs have gone. Um, gigs that Francis and Charlie and I do together every year, they're gone. Um, you complain, Tramlin? <laughs> it's just, it's, 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 it's easy to say they're gone and they're gone, but it's, I have musicians, I have a band, I have obligations. I love doing what I do. I mean, I just, you know, I live for it, you know, at this stage of my life. I, I'm in a good position. I'm going to Australia in uh, March and April to do all the gigs that were cancelled there in 2020-21, but it's not happening here yeah. and in England. It's just not happening. There are no gigs coming back. There are, there's right. about a 30% cut, you know, down. We'll have to see what may be uh, delivered for performers in the budget that may at least help this you. This might be nice, through. yeah. <laughs> OK, we'll leave it there. My thanks to the panel. Coming up next, uh, the UN is warning that famine's at the door in the Horn of Africa. We hear from the CEO of Trocra, who's on the ground there. Famine is at the door and this is our final warning. It's the stark message from the UN as an unprecedented drought has led to the possibility of starvation for millions. Well, earlier I spoke to Quiva Dabara, the CEO of Trocra, who is in Gado in South Somalia. And I began by asking her what people are facing there right now. Here in Somalia, people are suffering from the effects of drought, which has lasted over two years. So there has, in effect, been no rain for two years and no rain is projected to fall either over the coming number of months. What this means is that half of the population of Somalia, or 7 million people, are facing acute food insecurity. That means they do not have enough food to eat on a day-to-day -day basis. What it also means is that in certain areas in Somalia, there is famine, Famine will take place between October and December. The UN Undersecretary General has said that famine is at the door. From what I have seen this week, I believe famine has actually crossed the threshold here. And Quiba, as you're outlining there, Trocra is on the ground helping people. We are hearing that children are dying of hunger and thirst. Can you tell us what your aid workers are seeing? 
So we have health clinics throughout the region of Gedo. And in this region, 250,000 people have already left their homes and come to centres like ours to seek help. We have seen the numbers of malnourished children seeking emergency assistance triple in the last six to nine months. I personally met a baby on Monday morning who was critically malnourished. That baby did not survive. They didn't last even 48 hours following their admission to hospital. On the other hand, we have saved the lives of over a thousand babies in the last six months. We can prevent the loss of life here, but there's an urgent need for increased humanitarian assistance and for long-term funding to prevent climate change having a devastating impact like this on a cyclical basis in countries like Somalia. Quiva, a sense then that the world really needs to wake up to what's happening in Somalia right now. Um, the last famine there was a decade ago when more, of a more than a quarter of a million people died. Is there anything right now, do you think, that can reverse this outlook, this, this warning around famine? Um, or is it a case of just managing and helping people uh, as quickly as possible at this point? We can prevent the loss of many, many lives. We are on the verge of running out of food, both for infants that are dangerously malnourished and for other people. We need to get food into the pipeline by the middle of October. All that requires is funding, resources and political will. The Irish government has very recently announced an increase in humanitarian aid for this crisis of 3.25 million, which is very important. But frankly, it's just not enough. We need a lot more immediate humanitarian assistance, but we also need this government to fulfill the promise made in the programme for government to reach 0.7% of spending of GNI on overseas development assistance. Only long-term assistance can help people become resilient in the face of climate change. And it seems, Quiva, that you've seen that, you know, the situation has been very fraught there for you know, four failed rainy seasons that you're, you're talking about and that the, the situation has been perilous for a long time. And yet uh, the world is turning a blind eye to what's happening. You're looking for more money and more resources, but it's not coming quickly enough, is it? It certainly isn't. We have been watching the situation unfold for almost 18 months. The projections of failed rains have been sitting in front of us and we have been talking about this with policymakers and decision makers worldwide for that entire period. We have to learn the lessons from the past. In 2011, many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people died. We have the time to prevent a similar catastrophe now, but we need a lot more urgent action. It's within our capacity to act now but resources are key. Okay, Quiva Dabaro, CEO of Trokra, thank you so much for joining us tonight from Ghetto in South Somalia. Thank you. Well, here to discuss is climate reporter for the journal.ie, Lauren Boland. And Laurel, Lauren, when we heard there about what Quiva had to say about, you know, four failed rainy seasons and the impact that's having for people to understand how climate change is accelerating um, the problem in places like Somalia, what's the difference now between, say, the famine that was there 10 years ago? So we know that climate change is making extreme weather events like this more frequent. It's making them more intense when they happen. And it's that frequency that's really 
the issue here because previously you might have had droughts but very spread out whereas what we've seen here now over the last few years is that the rainy seasons haven't come at all in the way they've been expected to at the time of year they've been expected to and it's that it's that persistence that's what's really having the massive impact so um, around things like water supplies crops livestock food health and um, you know there's these knock-on effects then with things like um migration and conflict so the that domino effect is really massive for these regions as well. One thing that struck me actually was um, the other week, one of my colleagues at the journal interviewed an Irish humanitarian uh, in Northern Kenya, and he described it as the ending of a way of life. And that really stuck out to me. It's the ending of a way of life, but it's also, as, as Quiva pointed out, it, it is the ending of many actual lives. Um, and like Pakistan, um it seems that people who are not responsible for the emissions that are seeing these climate impacts are the ones who are paying the price, paying the price for the problems created by the West. That's exactly it. I think that's a point that we all need to become a little bit more aware of, maybe that these are the countries that are on the front line of facing the worst impacts of climate, the climate crisis, but they're not the ones that caused it. And President Higgins actually put out a statement on that just today. He, he said... Um, that whether, whether you're looking at Pakistan, where they've had devastating floods over the last few weeks, or looking at this region in the Horn of Africa, he said that the impact of climate change on those least responsible for causing it is clear. These countries, which are amongst the lowest producers of emissions in the world, are facing such devastation due to the failure of the developed world to adequately address the global climate emergency. And on that, we're hearing, and we heard from Quiva, the government needs to do more. Um, is the government following through an action? Certainly they've committed 3.2 million euro mm. in aid, say, to Somalia. But from a climate point of view, are they doing enough? So there are these there are these large targets now for climate finance from Ireland over the next few years. The question is whether those will be enough um, and whether it's going to happen fast enough and efficiently. Recently, there was a plan that was due to come out in the first quarter of the year on this. It took until July until that was actually published. And it's that kind of that kind of, you know, waiting and kind of things stumbling over themselves and not getting in place when they need to be or where they need to be. That's maybe not the best sign of things to come. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, there's really no other option than to do it because the, the consequences otherwise are devastating. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. Lauren, thank you for coming on the programme tonight. And indeed, thanks to all my guests. That is it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also now find us on Instagram, uh, tonight, VMTV. But from all the late team here, good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.